I've been practicing for 20 years and what I've realized is that dentistry is not evidence-based. Dentistry is based on what a guru told us to do. You must listen. Welcome to the Drilling Millions Podcast. The Drilling Millions Podcast. Lessons from some of the most successful dentists on the planet. I want you to deal with your problems by becoming rich. Presented by Sage Dental Partners. Your practice transition team. That escalated quickly. Coming to you from Toronto. Podcasting to the world. Please welcome. Please welcome. Akil Chawla. This week's episode of the Drilling Millions podcast is with Dr. Dan Hagee. Dan is an awesome guy, absolute beast when it comes to ceramic implants, uh, super unique in, in his take on uh, how implants uh, should be placed and the, the materials used to uh, to place them. Uh, in this podcast, we talk about his early career, how he was I think the youngest dentist to ever uh, have graduated from U of T and his takes on mentorship and the importance mentors play in, in one's career. Great conversation. Uh, Dan's a good buddy of mine. So we had a fun time recording. So I hope you enjoy. I listened to your uh, brilliant podcast with uh, Howard Fran, who was actually a guest on my old podcast. Um, great character. But let's talk about ceramic implants, just at its you know, very basic level. And then we can build on that conversation. So what are ceramic implants? So uh, we know what implants are, right? They're yeah. metal screws <laughs> that uh, that replace teeth. Um, I'll give you a little bit of a history how I got into it, and it's 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 kind of an interesting story because I, I fell into it too. So I started placing implants around 2006. Uh, I was trained with Dr. Carl Misch. Um, he was very uh, rigorous in terms of his training of how you should be doing things. And I stuck to it, right? So for five years, I really stuck to it. And then at the five-year mark, I look back on things and I'm like, you know, there's some things that happen with these implants that nobody really told me about. Like I was pretty good. I, I listened to the lectures. I went through everything, but these things lose bone. I'm getting screws that are loosening. I'm getting all these little problems that I knew were possible, but I didn't know were possible to that degree. So now I'm thinking to myself, do I suck? Like, is it me? Right. Um, and around the same time, this is kind of like when Facebook was kind of picking up and I noticed uh, some posts by these Spanish dentists and they were looking at ceramic implants, which I've never heard about before. Um, so I started messaging them like, what, what's this about? How come we don't hear about these ceramic implants? And they're like, oh, we've been using it. There's a, there's a study now. It's five years. Uh, you can take a look at it. Are you interested in coming and seeing what they're all about? I'm like, sure. Where am I going to? Barcelona. <laughs> me in. Yeah, don't have, to, don't have to ask me twice. Yeah. So that's when my journey into ceramic implants started. Um, and it was really, to me, it was, it was an alternative to what I was doing that potentially would give me less problems. Right. And I wasn't seeing a lot of problems, but I was seeing problems just like the rest of us, the whole profession sees problems because I mean, you guys are going to hear about periimplantitis and all these issues. Um, so ceramic implants offered me um, something that is different, something that would give me less problems. And also, as I realized in dentistry, it would give me something to differentiate myself with, right? Which is really, really important when you get into practice and you start realizing that we are in a, in a, in a profession that is very 
homogeneous. Everybody is almost the same around us. Like you go to a dental practice, what's the differences between one practice and another? Chair what's color. Between, yeah. So, <laughs> so I realized quickly that ceramic implants are going to be a differentiator. And it was a risk. Like we said before, like, where do you take a risk? The risk to me was, hey, I'm going to start putting these in. And then all of a sudden, two years later, everything starts to break. And I look like the biggest fool. I got to remake, redo everything. Um, so that was really a fear that I had. But having gone through and seen what these guys are doing in Barcelona and then some German guys, I was like, you know what? I'm convinced that this is it. And I am now 10, 11 years later, uh, not regretting a moment of it. Um, these implants are essentially, I had this conversation with, uh, with a colleague uh, at their Christmas party a couple of days ago. Um, at the bone level, they're exactly the same as titanium. Uh, and then above the bone where we're getting into the gums, you get a real different uh, type of healing. Uh, you get a tooth, you don't get an implant anymore. Uh, you don't have little screws, you don't have connections. You really have a model of health, um, which, which is what I built my practice on. So, so what does the, the split look like? What percent of dentists um, or implants are typically titanium and then what part are ceramic generally throughout the industry in Canada? Uh, so if you, so if I have to talk averages out of a hundred implants, uh, a hundred of them are titanium. No. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's a very low number. So yeah. worldwide right now, I think it's about a percent. Uh, there are some countries where it's, it's higher. So Germany and Switzerland, um, they're hovering at about five to 7% of the implants are ceramic. It's still, it's still extremely low. There's not a lot of manufacturers that are really touting and pushing these implants out. Uh, Strawman is actually one of the first manufacturers that incorporated ceramic implants into their um, complete line. And that's gonna start in 2024. So they have a, a line of titanium and a line of ceramic sort of being marketed at the same time. Um, it's, it's slow progression, but it's like everything. When you look at the history of implants in general, when implants started, everybody was doing three unit bridges. Uh, and everybody said, oh, these titanium implants, that's crazy. You don't want to put that, just put a bridge. So it's kind of the same transition that's happening now. And until it reaches critical mass, where more people realize that there's something to it, that's, it's going to take time. So what would you say are like the, the key advantages of using ceramic over titanium other than that just being different? I mean, the soft tissue is the biggest difference. Um, I'm going to get into a little bit of science because this is what I do. I can handle it. Uh, okay, perfect. It's going to be like a... Sort of, don't go, don't, go, be, don't go too far. <laughs> it's going to be a histology lecture. Okay, never mind. I don't want to know. <laughs> it was a 1980s study by Herman. And what he did was he compared how much bone gets lost around implants. He did one-piece implants, two-piece implants, implants that had the connections at the time of placement. The, the outcome of the study was that one-piece implants lose the least amount of bone. The problem with one-piece implants is that they look like shit. Hmm. Right? Yeah. Most of the time, when you have an implant... Uh, that is uh, that is like a one piece or a tissue level, you see metal and, and that's a problem, right? We, our patients are, are very, very astute to the aesthetics and you can't leave gray lines, darkness, all these metal components. Um, so if I could use a metal implant that was one piece uh, and it would be aesthetic, I would be happy, right? But I can't. And this is where the ceramic comes in because I can 
put a one-piece implant. It has a white collar. Um, it's going to look like a tooth, right? So I can I can have bone that is maintained around that implant. I can have a healthy uh, gum, a healthy bone uh, environment, um, and I can simplify the workflow. So the simplification of the workflow is very, very important because you don't need components for the crowns, you don't need screws, you don't need analogs, you don't need a million pieces to get the job done. And that's where the many advantages of the ceramic implants come from. So they're typically this one piece and you just drill it in and it's there. Drill it in and it becomes a tooth. It's not like the whole like, okay, there's the female end, there's the male end, you first put the female end in, screw it down, like it's just boom in just just one piece boom that's the implant it's it's not it's not an implant anymore like once it heals we treat it like a tooth we don't we don't really look at it as oh we have an implant you know it's 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 a tooth you can prep it you can you treat it like a crown prep that's really what it is and now because most clinicians are used to titanium implants now we're seeing the growth of two-piece ceramic implants. So actually having the female and the male component, and that's becoming more prevalent as it's sort of being marketed to the users of the titanium implant. So that's coming out as well. Um, has some advantages, but not the, the, not the advantages that I've been seeing out of the one-piece implants. Have you seen some of those old implants from like the 20s and 30s and 40s, like back, back in the day? Oh, or they're like full viral. jaw and yeah. <laughs> oh, the full jaw, the, 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 yeah, those ones, the, there's, you know what, surprisingly, there's still uh, utility for those implants. There's some cases that uh, those things still work. And today they are way simpler to make because now off of CBCT, you can actually mill out um, those structures in titanium and then just put them in. Right, because because before you had to take impressions of the bone and do all these things, but today those those types of implants are are much easier, and in some cases they work. It's rare today with what we have, but but there is some utility to those things. So the process of putting a ceramic implant in, it's still drilled in, right? Like fundamentally, it's still the the whole like drill locking mechanism. Yeah. Okay, and you just basically drill it in, and it's there. Like there's no further steps required. Yeah, you, you put it in, you still need to allow the bone to heal and for everything to, to integrate, for the gums to heal around it. And then uh, it's a simple uh, prosthetic crown, right? So you've gone through your crown preparations. Imagine now you're looking at uh, a prep. If you need to change it a little bit, move the margin here or there, and then take an impression or a scan, send it to the lab and cement the crown in. That's is it quicker than a traditional implant? Like, is it a time saver for the dentist? I think when you get really good at it, it's a time saver. Like everything, like when you start, the, the learning curve takes some time, but ultimately it is a time saver. It saves the patient some money because the, the prosthetics are less expensive. There's no componentry. Um, and then uh, in terms of healing of the actual implant, uh, it's about the same as titanium. is. So the bone treats titanium and ceramic the same right so why haven't they caught on is it just a cultural thing people are used to titanium uh, so dentistry is uh is a weird medical profession i'm gonna this if, if i start talking about this I'm, i might take three or four hours to, Perfect. To we got that. <laughs> so so we always think of, of dentistry as evidence-based 
right? We always talk, we always hear evidence-based. You're going through school, your evidence is there. There's always the articles, the science, everything behind it. I've been practicing for 20 years. And what I've realized is that dentistry is, is not evidence-based. <laughs> dentistry is based on what a guru told us to do, right? So there we have gurus in dentistry and these gurus um, work for companies. They sort of spread the word around about how things should be done. There's no science behind a lot of what we do, right? So let's say I'm gonna go graft, build bone for an implant. Every single clinician out there is gonna do it differently. If, I, if you go uh, and need brain surgery, you better believe that that brain surgeon, his colleague, and somebody in another country is going to perform that particular surgery the same way. We would mm -hmm. hope so because we want best practices. We know what works, but it's not like that in dentistry. So what happens in dentistry is that unless the gurus speak about ceramic implants and how great they are, right, um, then the acceptance of them is not going to be as high. The more gurus speak about it, the more it comes up, the more the belief is. The other problem with ceramic implants is the history. So in the 70s, um, we had a ceramic implant that was made out of alumina oxide, and that fractured. There was a lot of breakage. And the older clinicians, sort of the gurus of today, they still stick to, to those uh, materials. So they're still thinking that the ceramics of the past are the ceramics of today, which they're not. Like today's ceramics are much different. Um, so that, that leads to that group bias uh, about the ceramics as well. Wow. So dentistry is just a big influencer market. <laughs> we have a ton of dental influencers. <laughs> yep. That's, that's how it works. And it, it always has. <laughs> and people just follow the Kim K, Kim Kardashian of dentistry. Yep. Interesting. Interesting. Do you get a lot of heat or do you get a lot of flack for going against the grain? Uh, all the time. Like it's, uh, the thing too with uh, ceramic implants is that there's a very large natural holistic side to it, um, which, which that's not the way I practice necessarily, but you do get the flack um, about that type of practice when you're, when you're engaged uh, in that field. So, yeah, I mean, I, I hear it all the time. Oh, I guess I heard it more for 10 years. I think it's, it's getting uh, less and less, uh, mainly because it's getting more accepted. There's more science being presented. We have data that is longer now. Uh, we got 10, 15 year data that shows that these things work, right? Um, but it's not enough evidence yet right because we don't have a breadth of time of 40 years like titanium does um but uh i i think that in the next and i always say this every every couple of years i always say in the next five years in the <laughs> next five years you're going to see how it's going to change but it does feel like things do do tend to progress and change and there's more there's periodontists placing ceramic implants now which five six years ago i wouldn't see any but now there, there's more acceptance that the material works, um, that it can offer some advantages to our patients. Big picture, what do you think that's about? Because I speak to a lot of people in um, tech and, and even other industries like business and finance, and there's so much more, um, I don't want to call it, you know, accepting of change, but might be accepting of change. There, there are a lot more, you know, 
willing to accept that there's a better way of doing things. And they're much more willing to accept that, okay, the way that I have been doing it may not be the best way of doing it. Um, what do you think that is in, in, in medicine and dentistry that people are very, very reluctant to change? I think uh, in our first five to 10 years of practice, as we're learning the ways and acclimating ourselves to how we're going to be practicing into the future, we're open to new things. So this is the time where we're learning. We still keep an open mind. Once we set in our ways of how to do stuff. So after those initial 10 years, most clinicians don't change. So you, that's why you go, you go to a, a practice that's been running for 30, 35 years. They're still doing their amalgams the same way, <laughs> right? That even the amalgam compules haven't changed. Like you, you kind of stick to the same chair, the same light, the same composite, whatever you were doing, it does not change in most practices. Uh, you have the, the crust or the cream on the top that, uh, that adapts. Um, and those are the, the sort of the super GPs or the super clinicians. Um, and, they're, and they're open to change. And, and that, those are the ones, those are the clinicians that you hear about, right? These are the guys that we hear that they're, they're moving the needle forward. Uh, but it doesn't happen because we, we set into a pattern it's a predictable pattern, and that's just how we do things. Uh, and we're, we're all guilty of it. Uh, and sometimes it's clinical, and sometimes it comes and presents itself more in the way we manage the practice and uh, from a business sense, from running the actual business. Uh, and they're both bad because you, you always need to be open to, to how things evolve, how things change. Our world changes so quickly. Uh, quicker now than it has in the past. And we can, you, you see it, you see how fast things uh, develop, uh, new ideas, new concepts. Um, and we have to be agile to be successful. We just, we just have to be. It's, it's sort of funny because I used to work in a, uh, I used to work with a surgeon um, and, and like our, our area of research was in robotic surgery. So I was sort of on that cutting edge of medicine for a long time. And I even saw people in medicine and surgery were more willing to adapt to change than people in, in, in dentistry. And I'm not saying, you know, it, it could be one argument could be made that it's the profession and the personality. And another argument could be made that it's the risk tolerance. But I would argue that a surgeon has a lot more risk than a dentist, right? Like there's a lot more that could go wrong in a surgery with like an open, you know, chest open stomach surgery than than you know in a mouth right so I, I, which side do you think it is do you think it's like a risk adverse um perspective or just a personality complacent sort of perspective i think it's a personality and a complacency i mean what happens because we're not evidence-based right the switch is really coming from trust, right? If you are going to switch to doing things a different way as a dentist, it's because you're trusting somebody to tell you that it's going to be better than what you're doing right now. Because you, because we, we all realize at some point that there isn't any evidence in terms of switching to something else. What, what's the benefit of it? What, what is it going to be? You're going to show me a study that's going to show me, oh, this composite works so much better than the last composite. But you realize that 
over the last 20 years, there's been multiple studies. Each one said the next composite is better. And is it really, right? So the, the reasoning to switch um, is innately not there because we have so much bombarding us. There's so many things that are changing that maintaining the status quo is just easier, right? So maybe it is uh, averting making the wrong decision. So maybe there is some risk aversion, but I think personality-wise dentists are, especially North America, are just ingrained into just stick to what works, don't change it, because you only have another 10, 15 years in your career, and then you're you're kind of done with it. So it's it's almost like just keep on doing the same thing, make yeah. leave home with a paycheck. And why are we changing things, right? So, and that's and that's the prevalent mindset, unfortunately. You must listen. Welcome to the Drilling Millions Podcast. The Drilling Millions Podcast. Lessons from some of the most successful dentists on the planet. I want you to deal with your problems by becoming rich. Presented by Sage Dental Partners, your practice transition team. That escalated quickly. Coming to you from Toronto, podcasting to the world. Please welcome. Please welcome. Akil Chawla. 